Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 575, the 14th of January, 2018. This week, there's one more chance to halt the Federal Communications Commission's destruction of net neutrality, but only if we all understand that this is not a battle between right and left, between liberals and conservatives, but between Internet service providers and we, the users of the Internet. In short circuits, Microsoft, Apple, and Linux developers are working to eliminate dangers that affect nearly all computers and mobile devices and to contain the problems that the updates themselves create. This month's Windows update has removed a feature that's been in Word for the past 17 years. It's not widely used, but those who need it will have to buy a $100 add-on. If you're planning to buy a new router this year, you might want to wait a few months because new specifications are about to be released. And in spare parts, only on the website, Toyota showed off its mobility ecosystem that's designed to make vehicles for specific uses at this week's Consumer Electronics Show. And electric cars can be dangerous if batteries aren't monitored and controlled precisely. One company says it has an inexpensive part that can make batteries safer. An effort exists to cast net neutrality in a political light, but it seems that most people, regardless of their political affiliation, reject that sham and prefer to have the protections offered by net neutrality remain in place. Although the Federal Communications Commission has voted to terminate net neutrality, One option does remain, but the timer is running. Now, it's easy to cast this in political terms because net neutrality was established during the Obama administration when Tom Wheeler was the FCC chairman, and it's being dismantled by the current FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, who was named to head the FCC by Donald Trump. Pai, however, was appointed to the FCC by Barack Obama. The Internet service providers, understanding the political divide that exists in the nation today, are attempting to position net neutrality as a battle between Democrats and Republicans, between progressives and conservatives. Statistics do not support this. Research by the University of Maryland's Program for Public Consultation shows that more than 80% of voters, 80%, are in favor of net neutrality. The breakdown does show some small political bias, but voters in all political classifications favor net neutrality. 75% of Republicans, 89% of Democrats, and 86% of Independents. If you'd like to see the full statistical report, there's a link to the University of Maryland's Program for Public Consultation website on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. Less than half of House Republicans publicly expressed approval of the decision to end net neutrality, and several Republican senators called on the FCC to delay its vote on the matter. Net neutrality was established in 2015. At that time, the FCC reclassified the Internet as a Title II common carrier. This distinction gave the agency the authority to pass rules that banned blocking and throttling of content, 
for selling faster lanes to companies wanting to get speedier access to consumers. Supporters included Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Tim Berners-Lee, who's widely considered to be the inventor of the web, and virtually every company that uses the Internet as part of its business operations. Variety magazine reported in its December 14th issue, former FCC chairman Tom Wheeler, in an interview on Wednesday for Variety's Pop Politics on SiriusXM, said the vote is a victory for telecom and cable companies, and the danger is that the Internet will begin to resemble the tiered system of cable TV platforms. And we all know how much we like that method. If you'd like to read the FCC rule, well, it's 539 pages long. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The FCC adopted the rule on December 14th, but didn't release it publicly until January 4th. So I said there's one remaining chance to overturn what the FCC is trying to do. Congress can do this by using what's called a resolution of disapproval, but it has to happen quickly. The Congressional Review Act can be used, has to be used within 60 legislative days. That means days when Congress is actually in session, so weekends generally don't count. Numerous organizations have set up petition sites, but the most effective method is still writing or calling the House or Senate members who represent you. Journalist Dana Floberg explains that the Congressional Review Act empowers Congress to review new regulations and pass a joint resolution of disapproval to overrule any recent regulations that it doesn't like. Think of it as a double negative, she says. If we repeal Pi's repeal, we could end up right back where we started with strong net neutrality rules. Millions of Americans depend on the Internet for information, entertainment, and even for work. You're probably one of those people. I certainly am. Without net neutrality, cable companies can control what you see, what you say, and what you do online. Credible reports exist to show that the FCC's public comment process was corrupted by millions of fake comments. Already 18 state attorneys general have filed suit. Bipartisan members of Congress have legislation to reverse the FCC's action, but they need support from voters. The Congressional Review Act gives Congress the power to review new regulations, such as the FCC's rule that destroys net neutrality, even though it carries the double-speak name of restoring Internet freedom. How serious is all of this? Will the ISPs abuse their power? Well, if you believe that Internet service providers will continue to play nice and deliver the content you want, consider some abuses that happened before net neutrality became an FCC rule. In 2005, Madison River Communications in North Carolina blocked the voice over Internet protocol service from Vonage even though the ISP's customers wanted to use the service. The FCC stepped in to force the cable company to reverse its decision, but under the new rules, it would be powerless to act. In 2005, Comcast blocked peer-to-peer -peer services that its customers were using. It wasn't until 2007 that investigations by the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the Associated Press proved that this was happening. Between 2007 and 2009, AT&T blocked Skype and other competing voice-over-internet phone services for iPhone users. In 2009, AT&T also blocked Google Voice. 
Between 2011 and 2013, AT&T, Sprint, and Verizon blocked the mobile payment system Google Wallet because it competed with a mobile payment application that the three companies had jointly designed. In 2012, AT&T disabled the video app FaceTime on customers' phones unless they agreed to sign up for a more expensive plan. And in 2013, Verizon attorney Helgi Walker told the FCC that the company would be exploring procedures that would allow the company to establish systems to provide preferred access for those companies willing to pay more. In other words, companies such as Netflix would be required to pay extra so that subscribers would be able to use the service. Those costs would, of course, be passed on to consumers who are already paying the ISP to deliver data. And those are just a few examples of things that actually have happened. So it's likely that the ISPs will play nice for a while, perhaps long enough to lull consumers into wondering just what the fuss was all about. But it's unlikely to last. Fight for the Future, a group that wholeheartedly supports net neutrality, has created an app for Android and iOS devices that's intended to identify ISP meddling. The app is not available for desktop computers. If you have both Android and iOS devices, you might want to install it on one or the other, but probably not both. The tests would reveal the same information regardless of the platform for your Wi-Fi connection. However, if you use a significant amount of data on your cellular plan, Installing on multiple devices would be reasonable, or alternatively, running the tests with Wi-Fi turned on and then running the tests again with Wi-Fi turned off. If you'd like to obtain that app, check out the link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The app measures the speed and performance of your network and its video streaming performance, whether and how websites are blocked, and identifies systems that could be responsible for censorship or surveillance. When you install the app, you'll find some scary warnings, including this statement. When testing websites for censorship, you will be connected to and download data from provocative or objectionable sites. For example, pornography. These sites may be illegal in your country. Now, that doesn't mean the testing will actually download pornography to your computer, only that it will attempt to connect to such sites. The app includes the NDT speed test to measure network speed and performance, the Dash streaming test to measure video streaming performance, and a web connectivity test that checks whether websites are blocked through DNS tampering, TCIP blocking, or transparent HTT proxy. The tests collect data that can serve as evidence of Internet censorship, and if one or more of the tests is positive for you, you'll be provided with some circumvention tips. Unless you specify otherwise, data collected from the tests will be reported back to the Open Observatory of Network Interference, which will then publish measurement data so that third parties can study and verify the findings. Users can choose to have their IP address included in the data, but that's not essential. The tests should be run occasionally, and you can set up the app to remind you. When problems are identified, the app will provide information on how you can work around them. In my first test, the app reported possible censorship on the Greenpeace.org website and a potential problem on RadioIslam.org. However, the organization says a single test may not definitively prove that censorship exists, but the more data collected from different Internet users in different locations, the more advocates can demonstrate censorship, call attention to negative behavior, and push for change. To do this, the app says, we need data from many users over a long time period during different hours of the day. 
Each time the test runs, it selects different websites to query. Every time I have run the test, one or two sites have shown problems. Now, I suspect this has more to do with normal network congestion than with any active censorship by my Internet service provider, at least right now. All of the other tests reported no problems. But now is the time to act. Contact your representative and senators, regardless of the party they belong to, and regardless of the party you belong to. Encourage them to reject the FCC's abolition of net neutrality rules. If we make our collective voices known now, it might be possible to show legislators that there is no real political divide on this issue. And if you don't know the identities of your representative and senators, who is my representative can provide that information. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, fixes have been put in place for Spectre and Meltdown flaws, but in some cases they've created more problems. Spectre and Meltdown are hardware design flaws that expose millions of PCs, phones, tablets, and servers to attacks. By allowing attackers to get around system protections and reading information from memory, the flaws could reveal passwords and other sensitive data. As we learned a week ago, all Intel processors created within the past decade are vulnerable. Operating system patches can reduce the risk, but the fixes have their own flaws. The operating system changes required are not insignificant modifications. AMD processors are not vulnerable to meltdown, but they can be affected by Spectre. Spectre is harder to exploit, though, so the risk is smaller. This week, we also found that many Android and iOS smartphones and tablets can also be compromised via these flaws. And even worse, Microsoft's operating system patch, when applied to computers with AMD processors, can cause the updates to fail and make a rollback to the previous version of the operating system impossible. Apple says all Macs are affected by Spectre, and the company plans to release an update for computers soon and computers running macOS version 10.13.2 should generally be safe. All of the current patches from all manufacturers reduce the risks. They do not eliminate them. Most of the mobile operating systems will apply patches automatically when they're available. Samsung claims to have effectively mitigated the exploits with a recent patch. Google pushed out patches for its Pixel and Nexus models this week. Huawei plans to push out firmware updates, but hasn't yet indicated when that's going to happen. All versions of Apple's iPhones and iPads are affected by both flaws, and Apple's response so far has been to tell users to download apps only from the App Store and other trusted sources, and to release an updated version of Safari for iOS. And an update this week for iOS devices should have made them less likely to be victims of the meltdown flaw. That's iOS 11.2.2, pushed out on Tuesday. The equation editor that has been included with Word for nearly 20 years is being eliminated by this month's Windows patch. The Equation Editor will not return, and Microsoft recommends that those who need to edit or create 
equations in Word use math type instead. The releases that were pushed out on Tuesday correct nearly 60 bugs. Not all of the bugs are security related, but most are. The ability to create or edit equations in Word is something that only a few users need. But MathType is a $100 application from Design Science, and the need to purchase it will undoubtedly annoy Word users who need the capability. In addition to patching 56 flaws in Microsoft products, this week's patch also includes Adobe Flash updates. Last week, Microsoft issued its out-of-cycle update that attempted to fix the Spectre and Meltdown flaws that I mentioned just a bit ago. That rushed update had several flaws of its own, for which Microsoft has now announced workarounds. And you'll find a link to the workaround page on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The most serious issue still has no workaround, though. Some Windows users with AMD devices have found their computers will not boot. Microsoft has suspended Windows OS updates to devices with AMD processors and says the company is working with AMD to remedy the issue. However, if your computer was affected, Microsoft says you should contact AMD, not Microsoft. Nineteen of the bug fixes this week address problems with the Office suite. Fifteen resolve problems with scripting. Seven are for the Windows kernel. Four deal with browser issues. The rest cover a variety of issues. Sixteen of this month's patches are labeled critical. That is Microsoft's most serious classification. And all of those deal with scripting issues. Maybe a new router is in your plans for 2018. If so, you might want to wait for a few months because some significant changes are coming. Most of the routers you'll find now comply with the 802.11ac standard, but a few have already been released with 802.11ax. For devices that support that new standard, data transmission should be considerably faster. Now, you noticed some weasel words there for devices that support the new standard. So you're probably wondering what happens if your devices don't support the new standard. Well, the bad news is that the new modem won't make any non-compliant devices any faster. But the good news is that routers are backwards compatible. Paying a little more now to buy an 802.11ax router will pay off when you buy a new computer that supports the new standard. IEEE 802.11ax routers will operate in the existing 2.4 and 5 GHz spectrums. The data rate will be nearly 40% faster, but actual data throughput should increase by about 400% because of more efficient spectrum use. Several companies are showing routers with the new standards at the Consumer Electronics Show this week. 802.11.ax is supposed to be released next year but router manufacturers should have models on the market by the middle of this year. The increased speed will be most welcome in situations where large numbers of devices use the router. These days that's a common situation with computers and smartphones and speakers, televisions and appliances and other smart devices around the house all connecting. And the new routers will also feature more robust security. For those who have devices scattered around the house, a mesh system would be a good investment. 
These are systems that typically have two or three access points that communicate with each other and provide better signals over a wider area. Spare Parts produces a really great signal over a wide area, but only on the website. This week, Toyota showed off its mobility ecosystem designed to make vehicles for specific uses. They did that at this week's Consumer Electronics Show. And electric cars can be dangerous if batteries aren't monitored and controlled precisely. One company says it has an inexpensive part that can make batteries safer. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.